All right, so listen, last uh, Sunday evening at uh, Collision Service, I'm sitting up front and I'm listening to Doug's uh, message as he continued in his series, great series, by the way, uh, called Redeem. And uh, he uh, mentioned uh, up uh, uh, in the beginning of his uh, message uh, that he hated, despised, abhorred uh, weeding. And uh, I'm sitting there and, I, and, I, and I'm saying to myself, I can't believe he's saying this. I mean, weeding is one of the favorite things I have to do. I love weeding. I mean, I thought to myself, who who doesn't love to weed? Who doesn't love to pull out the dandelions and the crabgrass and and, and a whole bunch of other weeds that you have no even names for, you know? And I'm saying to myself, I, I I am so shocked. I was just so surprised that he would hate to weed. Now, I'm kidding, of course. You know, weeding is horrible. And it's hard enough, it's hard, it's hard enough to have nice landscape, nice lawn, and nice, you know, garden, you know, without the curse of weeds. You talk to the Lord about this. Weeds, you know. I mean, there's so many different kinds of weeds, and they, and they grow up so easily. You never need miracle grow for them. They grow so, so rapidly and so easily before you realize. I mean, you can pluck them out and like the day, the, day, the day later, they're right back again, you know, right? I hate weeds, you know, just like Doug. I hate, I hate weeds, right? I mean, listen, there, there's so many things that we've got to deal with. You know, if, if you have, you know, a garden, if you have property, you know, uh, if you're a homeowner, you, 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 you know, listen, you know how hard it is. I mean, you've got to deal with the weather. You've got, you've got to deal with whether there's too much rain or not enough rain. You got to deal with frost. You got to deal with excessive heat. I mean, you got to deal with bugs and slugs and, and, and did I mention bugs? I mean, millions of different kinds of bugs that will eat your plants and slugs that will eat your plants. And so it's so hard, isn't it, to have a nicely groomed garden. And it, and it don't come easy. I, I think that's where the Beatles rang wrote that song, and you know it don't come easy. They're talking about pulling weeds, I think, anyway. Uh, I remember reading this story years and years ago. It's true, uh, about a, an atheist who, in his will, I guess he thought he was funny, you know, uh, but uh, in his will, uh, when, he, when he died, uh, the uh, probate judge had to fulfill his wishes as best as possible, and what he did was he willed his home and his property to the devil. I guess he thought that would be pretty funny to do that. And so the probate judge thought, well, how, how can I possibly fulfill the wishes of the deceased? And so what he decided to do was absolutely nothing. And in a couple of years, you know, the roof was leaking, the pipes froze during the winter, and, and there was a mess inside and a mess outside, and the weeds all around the property grew up. And, and I, I suppose the moral of that is that the best way really to, to give in to the devil is to neglect, to do, to do nothing. And uh, in the series, My Soul to Keep, one of the things that I've mentioned is that our responsibility is to guard our hearts with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's not a, a leap or a surprise to, to liken the hardened soul to that of a garden. Uh, in fact, in Jeremiah 31, verse 12, it says that a man's soul shall be like that of a well-watered garden. And that's what we would want. 
So let me, let, let me kind of draw some parallels and, and draw some spiritual applications to my own experience uh, as a gardener, landscaper, you know, and, and, and all that stuff. And so uh, I uh, believe that uh, there are so many things. This is what I have in, in, in this bucket here, uh, which was... Uh, Pulled out on Tuesday, by the way, and notice it is still alive. You cannot kill it. Uh, it is called a pteridophila. There are 12,000 species of a variety of pteridophilas related, their cousins, the bafalafica. No, I just kidding. I, 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 that's an old soupy sales joke. But anyway. Uh, I mean, you know, it's a green leafy fern, you know, and there's 12,000 different species. You think, God, how many species of ferns do we really need, you know? And, and, and you know, I have to, have to tell you, a number of years ago, we had a couple in the church. Some of you might remember Mario and uh, Andrea. Uh, and uh, they were landscapers. And, and uh, about 10 years ago or so, before they moved back to, uh, Gu- uh, not Guatemala, uh, Uruguay, uh, they, they gave my, my, my property a very needed uh, makeover. And they planted a number of uh, trees and, and plants and shrubs and, and flowers and, and perennials. And, and just did a really beautiful job. And Mario introduced me to the fern. And uh, I thought they were cool, you know. Uh, nice ground covering, right? Uh, you don't have to fertilize them. I mean, I pulled this sucker out last Tuesday. In fact, I worked for four hours pulling out a whole bunch of ferns. And, I, and I'll tell you why I did that in, in a couple of minutes. But, but um, you don't need to fertilize them. They, they, they grow like crazy. And so and I, I, I love the way they kind of move with attitude in the wind. You know, it's kind of like they've got attitude, you know. And, and, I, and I thought that was so cool. My wife, not so much. She didn't like them in the beginning. So what I did was, after the first season, I noticed the way that they were growing. So I, I took a little, a little of the cuttings, a little of the, and I transplanted them a little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit around the property, in the front and in the back, you know? And, and here's the thing. After a couple of seasons of growth, they have just completely taken over. The reason why they don't need any fertilizer is because they steal the nutrients of the other plants. I mean, the plants I paid good money for, you know, are, are now being depleted because of the darn ferns that are growing everywhere. They're out of control. They're growing where I don't want them to grow. They're growing in walkways. They're growing in cracks. They grow everywhere. And I spent four hours this last Tuesday plucking them out, pulling them out because what, what has happened is that they've begun to deplete some of the plants that I want, you know, like, like my hostas. I, I used to have hostas. The family used to kid around about the hostas that we had, right? Marie, right? am I right? We used to say one of them was, was the, the, the hosta that ate Long Island. I mean, the leaves were like humongous, but, but, but not so much anymore because... They come back because they're perennials, but, but, but they come back and they're a little thinner and they're a little sicklier looking and they're a little smaller, you know? Because, but, but, there's, but there's also an even worse predator that I'm dealing with. I'm talking about, listen, it is a spawn. Is that the right word? 
a spawn from hell. It is. It is a, it is a demon from hell that has invaded my, my garden. Can you, can you show that picture? You know, Bambi. You know, all, you all, all, you say, all, Bambi, all. You know, the poor little deer. What, I mean, how harmful can a little deer be, right? Well, let me tell you how harmful can a uninvited deer be when it brings six or seven of its friends and fathers with antlers on your property and begins, listen, in their mindset, they think that they think my backyard is, is an all-you-can-eat buffet, you know, and all, an all-you-can-eat salad bar, you know, and, 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 and like, so like, I, I see them right in the back there, and I, and I, I, I want to scare them away, so I run out of the house, screaming like a banshee, right? Raising my arms and trying to scare them. And my wife says, honey, the neighbor's going to think you're crazy. I said, can I shoot them? She says, no, the neighbors will turn you in. I mean, I can't win. I I go out there, I I run after them, and and they just look at you like, like, I mean, like, I I can almost tell what they're thinking. It's like they're, they're thinking, dude, that is just so rude. You know, like, that's not Christian like, you know, it's like, like, what is your problem? I mean, they just stare at you, you know, like, isn't this the golden, you know, what's that, what's that restaurant? The golden, isn't this the golden corrals, you know, salad bar? No, it's not. And after a few years of this, I'm serious, after a few years of this, they come back every year with more. Because they're out in the woods doing who knows what. And they just come back and they, every year there's more of them. And they, and they don't eat the ferns and they don't eat the weeds. They eat the hostas. And they chew them suckers right down to the ground. And when they come back the following year, the hostas that is, they come back a little bit more sickly and a little bit weaker. And sometimes they don't come back at all. Now, if, I, if I'm likening, if I'm likening the weeds that we need to pull out of our hearts, that there are some things that grow up in our hearts that we, we, we've got to do our due diligence to make sure that they're not robbing the space or they're robbing the nutrients that would, that would bring forth the fruit unto God, right? And so one of the things that we need to understand is that if our hearts are like a garden, and, I, and I've been saying that, that it is. It's not hard to see the, the illustration. Th- then there are some things that we need to do to keep our hearts with all diligence. Now, in this series, what we've been talking about is that childhood prayer. And again, everything that we view in this series has to be viewed through the grid of the one who is able to keep us from falling. Jesus, who is able to present us faultless before his presence with exceeding joy. And, we, and we've been talking about We've been talking about our responsibility. What is our responsibility in this call of salvation? Because because God is at work in us to will and to do his pleasure, right? We, We don't work for our salvation, but we have a responsibility to work out our salvation, to work out what God has worked into us with grace, and God gives us lots of grace, and so we, we talked about one of the things that's necessary is that we keep ourselves in the love of God. We guard our hearts in the love of God. We build ourselves up in the most holy faith. And we said that, that was to build ourselves in the gospel, to love the gospel and to know the gospel. 
Last week, we spoke about the, the necessity. And, and the week before, we spoke about keeping ourselves from idols. Last week, we spoke about the necessity of keeping the unity of the Spirit in the corporate body of Christ. Because that's where God commands the blessings of life evermore. And so keeping is a responsibility that God wants to help us with. He wants to come alongside of us and give us the grace that we need. Because when, when, when we find that there are stuff growing in our hearts, stuff like jealousy or pride, God wants us to root them out before they do any serious damage to us. So I got to tell you, I didn't realize that what I thought was a good thing, you know, I, I guess there's an old adage that says too much of a good thing is not good at all. And what I thought was a good thing didn't turn out to be very good at all. And so there, there are things that we need to do. One of the things that I do to help me, Doug, and you might want to learn from this, is weed preventer. You know, and I put this down. In fact, I, I've put, you know, several of these suckers down, you know, throughout the, throughout the yard and throughout the, the, the garden. And, and, and it helps. It doesn't, it doesn't totally prevent the weeds from growing, but it helps. And there are things that we need to do to help our gardens, if you will, stay pure. One of the things I got was I spray my plants with, with Dear Be Gone. Isn't that cool? Deer be gone. They don't like the smell, and I'm hoping that this thing is going to work. Now, wouldn't that be, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great if we could just get a little bit of that and sprinkle that on our, on our heads, you know, and, and keep, keep the weeds from growing you know, in our hearts? Or, or, or just spray ourselves with this. It may not smell so good, but, but if we can keep the predators away from us, because I tell you what, there, there are predators. And, you know, through this series, one of the things I've been quoting is, through many dangers, toils, and snares, we have already come. It was grace that brought me safe this far, and grace will bring me home. I, I guess we, we've looked at some of, the, some of the dangers and some of the snares, and I guess what we're talking about this morning has to do with more of the, the toils that, that that song talks about, the, 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 the work and the effort. Uh, Jesus said, strive to enter into that straight and narrow gate. The word strive means they're literally to agonize. That, that there is, just as it's tough work, it's, it requires, you know, uh, muscle, you know, muscle aching, back breaking, you know, ibuprofen taking, you know, when, when it comes to gardening. Well, it requires, it requires effort in this Christian experience as well to keep out the weeds and to keep out the things that would deplete and rob us from our growth. There are many dangers, toils, and snares, but there's grace for us, and, and God has an abundance of grace. You know, but somebody might ask the question. They, they might say, well, well, Pastor, if Jesus saves us and he keeps us saved and ultimately he brings us safely into eternity without fault, then, then, then what what difference does it make the condition of my heart? And, and it matters much because the condition of my heart, while it doesn't, it doesn't commend me to God, God is at work in us to will and to do his good pleasure. His desire obviously is to transform us and to change us and to conform us to the image of his son. But there's grace for that. 
And just as there are predators for us to guard against. So, so I want to share with you uh, a verse of scripture from uh, Paul's last letter. At the close of Paul's life, we're going to look at 2 Timothy. It's the, it's the, the last known verses or thoughts of the apostle, of the eminent apostle Paul. And he really uses three metaphors to describe the Christian life in the same way that I'm using the metaphor of, of a garden as similar to that of a heart and a soul. So, okay, let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, looking at verse 6. This is what Paul says. He says, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. Meaning, I, I know that I'm at the end of my life. I know that I'm, I'm ready to leave this world. N- n- notice his, his attitude toward leaving this world. In Philippians, Paul said, for me to die is gain. I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. I'm like a man stuck between a rock and a hard place. And and here Paul is really, this may have been written days before his final execution. And Paul is saying, look, I I know that the time of my departure is at hand. And you know what? There's no regrets. There's no looking back over his life with, with, with regrets, as, as we will see in, in just a minute. Can, can, can I say that my hope and my prayer for all of us is that when it's time for us to depart, and there will come a time, that we will depart without regrets, that we will be able to depart with the same anticipation and the same expectation that this man Paul had because of his confidence in the one who saved him. So this is what Paul says in these three metaphors that describe the Christian life. Verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Those three things, fighting, running, and keeping. And we want to kind of break them down in a minute. In some translations, it has, I fought the good fight of faith. I have run and completed the course set before me, I have kept, guarded the faith. You and I, beloved, uh, we're not the Apostle Paul. Uh, we're not theologians. We, we, we're not missionaries. But we are believers and followers of Christ. And if we are, then we likewise have the same set of responsibilities. That we need to fight the good fight of faith. That we need to run the race that's set before us. And that we need to keep and guard the faith. And we'll kind of break this down. But let let me connect this to the eighth verse. I'll read verse seven again. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now, notice the connection between, between us and this verse. He says, now there is in store for me the crown, and the crown is not a, a, a diadem of gold and jewels. It is, it is a winner's wreath. It is the wreath that was given to those who competed in a contest. He said, there is given to me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing, and that includes us. If you have longed for the presence of Jesus in the day 
will come when you will depart to be with Christ, which is far better. The hope and the anticipation is that we likewise will receive the same victor's crown of what Paul is talking about here because we've answered the call to fight, to run, and to keep. To fight, to run, and to keep. And we can sum that all up in this message this morning, my soul to keep. The race, the race that's set before, let me start with that. I'll go to the middle one first. The race that's set before us is, is not a race of speed, It's a race of endurance. It's a race of persistence. Let us run the race with perseverance, tenacity. Because I tell you what, there will be many, many temptations to quit, to stop. There'll be many temptations to just say, this this life is just too hard. I can't do it. And I want to be discouraged or to, or to experience disappointment or experience loss in your life. How, how, how many of you probably know someone who has walked away from being a follower of Christ because, because the race got too hard? It just got too difficult for them. There was too many disappointments, too much sorrow in their life. The, the, their prayers weren't answered the way that they wanted them to be answered. And so they quit and gave up. But if we're in this so that we will receive a crown, we can't quit. We can never give up. You see, what matters most is that we finish and that we finish well. How, how we start the race matters really very little. Some of, us, some of us just started running in this race, you know, later in life. The thief at the cross started running his race only hours before his death. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. So, so it's, not, it's not when you started to run that is important as are you going to finish. Some of us started when we were children. Some of us, in, you know, in our 20s. My wife and I, we were like about 25 years old when we started to run this race. And we've been running and running. And we haven't quit, though we've been tempted at times to quit and to give up because the the course, the course sometimes gets so hard. And it seems to always be, you always be striving uphill. But, but let me tell you, there, there comes a time, there comes a time when the momentum begins to change. You know, it's like, like, like the course in a river. It's hard swimming upstream, but then, but then there's a, a change in the course. And, and it gets, well, that, that's when God supplies us with more grace. Finishing well is what matters most. How many of you remember the story about uh, Derek uh, Redman? Uh, we showed a video of him a number of years ago. He was an Olympic runner. Remember him? He was, uh, I think it was from South uh, Africa. I think he, he was favored to win one of the particular races. And, and he, he, was, he was out in the lead. And then all of a sudden, he dropped to the ground in excruciating pain. He had tore the, the hamstring in, in, in his thigh. And it was down on the ground, and, and he got up, and he started to hobble toward the finish line, even though th- there was no way he was going to win. And everybody is watching, right? Not the guy who, 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 who made it through the finish line. Everybody's watching, what's Derek going to do? And out from the crowd runs this older gentleman who comes alongside of him and puts his arm underneath his son. And takes his son's arm and puts it all over his, his shoulder and he helps his son cross the finish line. 
Now, can I tell you, when it gets real hard for us, we have a heavenly father who will come, stand alongside of us, and help us. Because he, there's grace for that. He, he gives us abundant grace. And as we humble ourselves underneath his hand, he, he gives us the grace that we need. There was a young man by the name of uh, Bill Broadhurst. And Bill, Bill Broadhurst wanted to run in the Omaha, Nebraska Pepsi 10K. Now, I guess that the, 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 the K stands for kilometers. And what that actually, for us, that was like 6.2 miles, right? And the difficulty for, for Bill was the fact that when he was younger, he had a brain aneurysm. And the brain aneurysm left him partially paralyzed on his left side. But he wanted to run the, the 10K anyway. Uh, and one of the reasons why he wanted to run the 10K was that one of his heroes, one of, one of the people that he admired and looked up to, a man by the name of Bill Rogers, was running in this race. In fact, he had many titles to his name, r- racing titles. And, uh, and he was running, and so, and so he wanted to run in spite of his handicap. Now, Bill Rogers finished that 6.2 miles in under 30 minutes. And, and, and most of those that were really fast made it somewhere in the 30s and some 40s and even some 50s. And, and, and those that just kind of jogged along, you know, who, who wanted to run in the race anyway, they were like about 50 to 60 minutes before they reached the finish line. But Bill, not so much. A couple of hours into the race, and his body began to throb with the pain of not being able to run adequately, to run easily and, and and yet there was something on the inside of him that persisted that made him push himself on there was a group of kids who didn't understand that he was competing in the race and they said hey mister you missed a great race now at this time after after a little more than two hours the, the traffic was back in the streets because they had run through through streets and through intersections the way the, the way that most marathons will run through a city and it started to get dangerous for him to run through or to try to run through the intersections. And one police officer stopped the traffic for, for his sake. And about, a, about two hours and 20 minutes later, while he was still persisting, his body racking with pain, he noticed that where the finish line was supposed to be, where there was originally a banner that, that, that kind of celebrated the finish line, the banner had been taken down and everybody, everybody who was involved with the race was gone. And he thought to himself, why do I even bother? I'm in such pain, I might as well just quit. I mean, after all, I gave it a good try. But he insisted and he persisted. And he finally made it through what would have been the finish line. And then out from an alley came, came Bill Rogers with a whole group of people who were waiting for him with open arms. And as he crossed that invisible, invisible finish line, Barb Rogers hugged this young man and, and took, took the gold medal that he had won that day off of himself and put it on Bob Broadhurst. Now, let me tell you, 
when we finish, when, when the time of our departure is at hand, and when we finish our course, there's going to be people that know us, that love us, that have been waiting for us to cross the finish line. But most of all, the one that I'm looking forward to is my hero and your hero, the captain of our salvation, who, who will in, in that day say to us, good job, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in little things. Now enter into the joy of your Lord. Paul said, I fought the good fight of faith. I fought the good fight of faith. And I believe that what Paul is talking about here as the word faith would be used, it would be used to express the way that we most normally use the word faith. That, that is believing and trusting and, and leaning upon the faithfulness of God and leaning upon the word of God and, and, and trusting that God's word is true. That, that, yeah, there is now therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Because I tell you what, every single one of us, we've got to fight against the accusations and the guilt that rises up within our own hearts and the enemy that is quick to point out as a predator the times that we have failed and the times that we have messed up. I believe that Paul's talking about the word of God that produces faith. You see, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God. If we will dress for success, then we've got to put on the whole armor of God. In fact, when you talk about each of the pieces of the armor of God, they're all comprised of the word, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the shield of faith, which will extinguish all of the fiery darts of the wicked one. I believe what Paul is saying is that we have, like David said, we, we have the, the word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. We can't fight without the word of God. We, we, we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Man doesn't live by bread alone. And how important this fight is. And, and we're in a battle. Make no mistake about it. The fight is real. The battle is real. But so is the grace that God supplies us and he equips us. He equips us with, with, with greater tools than the, than that of weed prevention or, or, or deer be gone. He, he equips us with things that are divinely inspired, things that are divinely empowered. And so he says to us that we are to fight the good fight of faith. Be strong, the Lord, in the power of his might. One of my favorite Psalms is Psalm chapter three. I, lo I love Psalm chapter three. And I, I won't re read the whole Psalm. I'll just read the first couple of verses. But to, but to know this, the title of each of the Psalms, when there is a title, it's part of the inspired word. Don't overlook it. Because this Psalm was written when Absalom, when, when the Bible says that David fled from the presence of Absalom. You know who Absalom was? Absalom was his son. I can't think of any, any trial more severe than, than if a son would rise up against his own father to, to, to present a, a coup and, 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 to, and to try to take your father's life. This was the worst day in David's life, but David could write and sing about this. He could say this, Lord, how? How they have increased to trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say 
of me. I love the old translation where it says, many of they that say of my soul, there's no help for him in God, but you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. You see, God's not only provided us with the shield of faith, but he himself becomes the shield for us, the wall of protection. And when our enemies are more than we can count, you can count on God to be an ever-present help in time of need. You know, I hope I could, I hope I could be like, like one of the, one of the uh, fathers in history who said, 80 and five years have I served the Lord and he's never failed me. I, I could say 40 plus years I've served the Lord and he's never failed me. He is faithful. Lastly, Paul says, I have kept the faith. I've kept the faith. Here Paul is using the expression of faith, not as I just mentioned, as believing and trusting, but rather as the whole counsel of God. I've kept the whole counsel of God, which is embodied in the gospel. And we owe so much to the apostle Paul for being the the steward that he was of the gospel of being the defender of the gospel. If it, if it wasn't for Paul, I'm telling you, th- there are the traditions of men and of, and of Jewish customs that, that probably we would be following today. If Paul simply made, made just an addition to the gospel, if he just, if he just said, okay, self-righteousness or, or, or works were important or, or circumcision or following some of the observances of the feast and law. If he, if he had not been absolutely adamant about in Christ and in Christ alone, that a man is not justified by the works of the Lord, but by the hearing of faith, Paul three times in three letters used this phrase, the just shall live by faith and expounded on that in his letters. The whole letter of the book of Romans is written to let you know that that we are not justified by observance of the law, but by the hearing of faith. And how important that was, that that was the phrase that shook the world back in the 16th century when Martin Luther nailed his thesis to to the church's wall. How important that message is. And, And listen, Paul Paul could have escaped so much of the persecution, so much of the opposition, and he just simply compromised. But what he said to us at the, at the end of his life, when he's ready to depart, he says, I've kept the faith. I have not compromised on the gospel. And we owe Paul a great gratitude. But, but listen, it's not just that we owe Paul a gratitude for the next generation, but, but we need ourselves to keep, to keep the truth of the gospel in our own hearts. Remember, I've been saying throughout this series that we need to love the gospel and build ourselves up in the gospel. But I said, the best message you will ever hear is not gonna come from me. It's gonna come from you yourself when you preach to your own heart. When you pull out the verses that are applying to you at that particular moment in the circumstances in the trial of your life and you begin to preach, there is now therefore no condemnation for me. Because I'm in Christ Jesus. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things pass away. And you, and you preach that to your soul. You are, you are keeping what Paul says is the faith. And that is so important for us. I love what uh, 
Charles Spurgeon wrote about the true preaching of the gospel. Listen to what he said. He said, let this be to you the mark of the true gospel preaching. Where Christ is everything, the creature is nothing. Where it is salvation, all of grace through the work of the Holy Spirit applying to the soul the precious blood of Jesus. The gospel, grace alone, through faith alone, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone could boast. And what does that do? But that, that extols and it magnifies the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, what I want you to know this morning is that we never go beyond the gospel. God may bring us deeper into the gospel, but we never go beyond the gospel. People who get bored with the gospel, they're in for a beating. They're in for a defeat. Because God doesn't bring us beyond the gospel. He brings us deeper into the gospel. I love what this unknown author said. He said, the gospel does not simply ignite the Christian life. It is the fuel that keeps Christians going and growing every day. Real change cannot come apart from the gospel. I know that's true. I know that by grace we are changed, not by the observance of the law. By the law is the knowledge of sin. By the law is the knowledge that I need a savior. And so it is impossible for anyone to keep the law. But grace, grace comes with the power to change and transform our hearts from dead works to serve the living God. There may be things planted in your heart today, I don't know. Things that have taken root, things like jealousy, selfish ambition, self-righteousness, lust. I mean, they, they, they so easily grow up in our hearts. And, and our responsibility is to pluck them out, is to remove them. You know, the, the, the theological expression of that is to mortify the deeds of the flesh, to put them to death. That's ultimately what's going to happen to that fern. That thing's not going to live outside of soil in which to grow. And those things cannot live if we pluck them out through the power of the Holy Spirit. To keep the faith, to run the race, and to fight the good fight. That's what God's calling each and every single one of us. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I, I love to watch old video footage, old kind of like uh, newsreels of like the athletes of the past. I, I love watching Babe Ruth swing, you know, uh, in his funny looking uniform, you know, but, but, but when he connects with the, with the ball, it's like over the center field, you know. I, I love watching Mickey Mantle. Left-handed, right-handed batting, doesn't matter. The guy was an amazing athlete. I love watching Roger Maris. He broke, he broke Babe Ruth's record. I remember the year that he broke it, 61 home runs, way before the day in which guys were doing steroids, right? I love, I love watching, but, 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 but here's the thing is, whenever, whenever you see these the, these video footages of these athletes of the past, they never show you them striking out. 
You know, when, when, when Larry Bird or where Michael Jordan takes a jump shot and he makes a three-pointer from all the way in the back of the court, you know, he never misses. They, they, those guys, they, they, because they edit out the misses. And, and you would think, if you didn't know any better, you, you would think these guys are batting a thousand average or, 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 or these guys never miss a shot. But the fact of the matter is, is that they edit out those shots. Now, what am I saying to you is this, that this is, this, is, this is what grace does for us. Grace says that there's a day coming in eternity when, when God will remember our sins and our iniquities no more. He says, I, even I, blot out your transgressions for my own name's sake, and I will remember your sin no more. So then what's left? And the answer is simple. Nothing but the greatest moments of our lives. The times when we've served one another, the times when we've done it to the least of these, our brethren, the times when when we've acted in love toward someone, when we've forgiven someone, when we uprooted the, 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 the roots of bitterness or unforgiveness or resentment, and we said, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna forgive just as Christ and God has forgiven us. Grace is amazing. And it's grace that will highlight the Lord Jesus Christ because while grace is free for you and me, it came at an enormous price for him. So that now I know this, and this is our takeaway this morning, that there's grace to fight and there's grace to run and there's grace to keep us. There's grace so that we can keep the fight and keep the run in the race. Amen? Let's pray. So Father, I thank you this morning for grace. So sweet, so abundant. John tells us that the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And we have all received of his grace, grace heaped upon grace. And Father, that's what we need once again this morning. We need the grace to stand, the grace to, to run, the grace to fight. And when we, when we do so, Lord God, when we receive this grace, we will be like trees planted by the waters that will bring forth fruit in its season. Its leaf will not wither. We'll be able to be unmovable and unstoppable just as the righteous are said to be because of the grace of God. And I thank you, Father God, that you have grace for us this morning. And I just want to pray for anyone right now, just, just between you and God, if, if there's an issue of just needing encouragement to keep running the race and keep, keep fighting the fight, and my soul to keep. Just lift your heart up before the Lord now. Just say, Lord, here am I. Fill me with your grace today. Fill me with your strength today. And, and we will know, we will know that we will know that our help comes from the Lord, from the maker of heaven and earth, that he will not fail us because he is faithful. Amen. Amen.